tuning in you're here for a very special episode of film code and i want to thank you guys so much for joining me my name is phoenix cloudin i'm one of the four co-hosts of film code and i'm here with a solo episode because today i want to talk about a few movies that uh i really enjoyed and uh that I really wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to discuss on the show. In case you were thinking of watching them or maybe you hadn't heard of them. So, uh, a few of these you may have heard of. A few uh, may have been under the radar for you. And, uh, yeah. So we're just going to check them out. And I'm going to tell you all about them and what I thought of them. And I hope you guys uh, enjoy this and enjoy checking out some more movies that maybe slipped your radar. So... Kicking off first is a movie called Kajillionaire. Most people want to be Kajillionaires. That's the dream. Kajillionaire is directed by Miranda July, director of Me and You and Everyone We Know. It stars Evan Rachel Wood, Gina Rodriguez, Richard Jenkins, and Deborah Winger. The story goes, two con artists have spent 26 years training their only daughter to swindle, scam, and steal at every turn. During a desperate and hastily conceived heist, they charm a stranger into joining them, only to have their entire world turned upside down. So, right off the bat, I gotta tell you, this movie will not be for everyone. But it's one that, me personally, I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I've seen it. Now, I'm not terribly familiar with Miranda July's style of storytelling, so originally when I saw this in theaters, it came across as really obnoxious and purposefully irritating. And it might stay that way for some people. But for me, by the time it reached its conclusion, I saw the majesty and purpose in it, much like the main characters did. Uh, first off, I want to kick off, Richard Jenkins is phenomenal in this role. And uh, I think he's definitely a long shot for a lead actor nod. But it would, I would be totally happy with it because I feel like it would be very well deserving. He plays a, a very seemingly aloof father, but is actually extremely criminal and is is really just out for out to scam as much as possible. And 
I just think he plays that so well. And also, major props to Evan Rachel Wood. She just goes all out in this role. It, you wouldn't even recognize her. I mean, she just completely embodies this character of Odolio. That's that's the character's actual name. She learned to forge before she learned to write. Well, actually, that's how she did learn to write. My favorite movies are the Ocean Eleven movies. This is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. So what are your parents do, hon? Hon, you've never called me that. But she could if it was a job, though, right? She's a 26-year-old manipulated child of her parents believing in what is uh, known as the big one, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, anyone who lives on the West Coast knows that they get uh, little tremors every now and then, and uh, everyone's always waiting for the big one, the, you know, the one that'll pretty much just crater the entire city and, and eventually kill all life. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, she plays this role so well because she's she's playing someone who doesn't really know anything outside of what her parents tell her at 26 years old. It, it's really good work and it's a bit frightening and unsettling because uh, it's just the way in which at some point you know that she's gonna realize like you know, at 26 years old, like, maybe everything my parents tell me isn't true, but when it does happen, it's, it's one of those things where it's, when you've been taught to believe something your entire life, even as you receive new information, it doesn't really register, and that's what we deal with through the entirety of the movie, is her really wrestling with, uh, learning things that she was never taught, learning things that she didn't believe, and understanding how everyone else uh, views the world that she views in a, in a totally different fashion. Uh, that's all, like, the most uncomfortable part. Well, not the most uncomfortable, because there's a scene in this movie that I feel will chill you to the bone. Um, there's... One scene, and, and this is spoilers, I don't really want to give too much away, but I do want to say uh, there's one scene in the movie where a man is dying, and his dying wish is to hear the sounds of his family. And they're all there in his house, and they do little things that make it sound like, you know, an everyday family. And it's just so calculated and, and, and natural how well that they mold into these people uh, and it's I think it's July's way, Miranda July's way of showing how easy it is to manipulate the concepts of love and family and the lengths that some people will go through to do it uh, and it's just it's masterful, it's mischievous and it's really kind of sickening like, like to be honest, it's really kind of sickening the way they just melt into those roles and then easily come out of it and it, it's unsettling and it's shot in a way that meant meant to be unsettling because of how Odolio reacts to it so um either way i feel like july's carved out a film that is all her own features some excellent performances and some dark moments that i will say much like me will stay with you long after the credits so again, that's Kajillionaire. As of right now, it is in theaters. If it is safe for your theaters to open, 
I would hope you go and check it out. Of course, only do it safely. If not, I believe it is available to rent on Amazon Prime. So check it out there. That's safer for you. All right. This is the way the big one starts. If you're lucky, you'll get crushed. And then you'll, you'll just die right then and there. to talk about is vampires versus the bronx yo check out the courthouse they're turning it into apartments y'all know how this starts then white people with canvas bags that's always the first time hey, what you doing down here bro it's too late to fight back now we are going to wipe you out like the vermin we got vampires in the Bronx. So this is a new Netflix movie. It's directed by Oz, Rodzige, uh, Oz Rodriguez, uh, who's also the director of uh, Michael Che's stand-up comedy, Michael Che Matters. Stars uh, Jaden Michael, Method Man, Chris Red, and the kid Miro. So the story is three gutsy kids from a rapidly gentrifying Bronx neighborhood stumble upon a sinister plot to suck all life from their beloved community. So, <laughs> uh, the only upsetting thing about Vampires vs. the Bronx is how much it wastes perfectly good material. Um, the idea of vampires being the ones doing the gentrifying in a predominantly black and brown neighborhood has the potential to go in a lot of different directions that could have genuine commentary on how poor communities are often targeted because of the lack of concern over the citizens who live there. It's ripe for the picking for a couple of bloodsuckers, <laughs> literally and metaphorically. Uh, unfortunately, Vampires vs. the Bronx doesn't go that far. It trades in that commentary for some decent laugh lines and keeps the familiar tropes about vampires alive so it makes them easier to defeat. Uh, so things like sunlight and steak through the heart and garlic, uh, those whole things. Um, still though, the comedy I feel is solid and you can visibly see the effort the entire cast is putting in to make this work. Everyone really feels like, you know, they want to put their best foot forward and you can see it. It's really visible in, in every actor and every shot everyone's doing their absolute best to make this the absolute best movie it can be even though it's camp and it's cheesy and it's horror and it's not serious and, and a lot of things you know just don't really mesh well together still you can see that effort and it it, it goes it, it should be recognized so Personally, I feel though it's possible that a series could be made out of this. So, I think um, after you know the vampires conquer the Bronx, maybe they try again in Brooklyn or they travel west and take out San Diego. Either way, I think there's room to improve and I think there's room to make more out of these. So, while I didn't care for the uh, the rehashing of old vampire tropes and I would hope and if they do continue with this series that they find some way to 
update it, you know, or maybe make the vampires a little bit diff more difficult to defeat. But I think you could do a reasonable three or four series of films, you know, just having that same plot and maybe just getting a little bit deeper into the metaphor that we're we're trying to conquer. Also, this film features a cameo from Zoe Saldano, which is great. It kind of sucks those that she's only in it for so short, but uh, it's great to see her e either way. So that was Vampires versus the Bronx. <laughs> This is Sybil. Then again. Uh -huh. Where you at? No, we don't have anything. Alrighty. Thank you so much. My twins will be 18 next month. They have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house. What fathers even do. What to talk about is a documentary. Uh, if you guys watch our show a lot uh, or listen to our show, you'll know that uh, I am big on documentaries. I watch a lot of documentaries every year. I don't know why, sort of my favorite thing. Uh, so this documentary is called Time. It's directed by Garrett Bradley. It stars the uh, Richardson family. Uh, and the story is Fox Rich, indomitable matriarch and modern day abolitionist strives to keep her family together while fighting for the release of her incarcerated husband. An intimate, epic and unconventional love story filmed over two decades so uh, my thoughts on this is that this year in particular has seen a lot of really good documentaries uh, you had Miss Americana the documentary on Taylor Swift uh, Boy State which I recommended on our show and I think it's fantastic you also had The Social Dilemma which I also recommended on our show which I think is really superb and I feel like uh, more people need to see that. But none are as emotionally gripping and true to life as time. Uh, we follow this family, this rich family uh, led by Sybil Rich uh, Richardson, Sybil Richardson. Uh, she's a single mother of six boys who fights relentlessly for 20 years to free her husband from prison after he was sentenced to 60 years for an armed robbery. Man, these people have no respect for other human beings' lives. No matter how sane or how understanding you try to be, it just will make you lose your absolute mind. Uh, what I find that this film does really well is that it is taken mostly from Sybil's point of view and she just tells us like it is you know she she does her best to uphold her dignity while this system eats away at her family and her faith but never at her love for her husband um, as relentless and unforgiving as the prison system is she is just as much if not more um, and that's what I think this documentary does really well as much as it highlights Sybil's love and her relentless nature and just the way she fights for her family it does equally show how incredibly hard the system fights once they have you to keep you and and, and it doesn't do much in terms of rehabilitation as much as it does in the terms of 
you know, isolation and keeping you not just away from society, but even away from your family and friends and the people who love you and support you and who are fighting for you. You know, there's a scene where she talks about uh, visitation and how, you know, they're only allowed to see him twice a month. And that, you know, and, and during those times, only for two hours. So essentially, they get to see their father and her husband for four hours a month. It's uh, heartbreaking. It's relentless. It's it's one of the most human stories that uh, we've seen. And it's a story that millions of Americans are dealing with. Uh, and it will hit home. So the amount of time, energy, and effort that is put into Robert Richardson's case is the same that was put into this film. Time will leave you angry, hopeful, triumphant, a little scared, but ultimately full of love. Uh, this is a love story at its core, and it's one of the most heartbreaking, raw, and emotional stories out there, and I think it will stand the, pardon the pun, it will stand the test of time. Success is the best revenge. You're gonna show them that they can't treat human life this way. Success is the best revenge. Just hang in there, because when you get them home, they gonna pay, they gonna pay, they gonna pay. The next movie on our list is The 40-Year-Old Version. Any more thought on what kind of play we want to write? Remember, if you put in nothing, it'll be nothing. Like your career? Remember this face? She was one of Spotlight Magazine's 30 under 30 playwrights to watch. We watched, but where'd she go? How are you? Good. Archie tells me you're teaching. How's somebody who ain't had no real hit gonna tell me how to write a play? She ain't no Tyler Perry. I did win a 30 under 30 award. Yes, it was quite a couple of years ago. What do I gotta do? Write a slave musical, an all white play? This some bullshit. It rang a little inauthentic. I asked myself, did a black person really write this? This some fucking bullshit, bullshit. Think about me doing hip hop. Doing what to it? I wanna make a mixtape about the 40 year old woman's point of view. Why my skin so dry? Why am I yawning right now? Why them AARP niggas sending shit to my house? This is 40. Uh, it's written and directed by Rada Blank, starring Rada Blank, Peter Kim, Oswin Benjamin, and Imani Lewis. The story goes, desperate for a breakthrough as she nears the big 4-0, struggling New York City playwright Rada finds inspiration by reinventing herself as a rapper. <laughs> okay, I'll be honest with you guys, this might be one of my favorite movies of the year. <laughs> okay. Like, not just one of my favorite. I think it's one of the best movies of the year. Uh, so I really hope you guys check it out because I don't want this movie to go under the radar. It's so good and so funny. It deserves to be seen and it deserves all the praise and accolades that come its way. So a movie detailing the radical changes that happens in a black woman's life as she nears 40 
struggling in her career and love life that's done in mostly black and white it might it doesn't sound appealing and it might be one that you would avoid except for the fact that it is so damn funny okay <laughs> white man with a black woman's butt how you carry all that back there what the fuck yes what the fuck <laughs> this script is one of the funniest scripts I think I've ever witnessed. Uh, Rada Blank infuses her script with balanced tones of realism, fantasy, and hip-hop that is fresh, vibrant, unexpected, and just downright hilarious. Okay? What I love also is that our characters here are layered. They're not just one note, and they're not uh, just serving a narrative purpose. They each uh, have a story that matters and is, is tied into her story and what it means to be black, to be plus size, to be 40, to be a playwright, to be a New Yorker, to be, you know, someone struggling in their careers. I mean, there's so much uh, story here and there's so many ways in which this story can be relevant to everyone. Uh, for me, definitely, the struggling as an artist part is, is one of those things that I, I deal with every day. So seeing her uh, deal with that and deal with the idea of not being able to make the art that she wants to, and then going into this completely different field that a lot of people look at her and go, you know, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. And, you know, she takes on that challenge. And it's it's just a story about it's never about never it, it never being too late to chase your dreams um and even if you know those dreams don't come to, re to fruition you know as long as you go after them you know uh you can find new and beautiful and exciting things about yourself and about the people around you and i think it's so good it's so good uh so blank's script uh, performances and directions put this film at the very top of the best that 2020 has had to offer so far personally I hope it stays there till the end I hope this movie sees accolades and rewards because it is just so funny and I, I, I love it to pieces so if you haven't checked it out yet the 40 year old version that's version not virgin version <laughs> on netflix uh it'll be a great watch trust me probably one of the funniest movies of the year all right so the next movie i wanted to talk about is over the moon it's just a silly myth it's not a silly myth it's real she's on the moon right now waiting for her true love right papa uh. he used to believe in her if Papa could only believe again. Directed by Glenn Keane, who also directed the Oscar-winning short Dear Basketball that was uh, led by Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace, Kobe. Uh, so, this stars Kathy Ang, Philippa Sue, Sandra Oh, Margaret Cho, and Ken Jeong. Uh, the story goes, a girl builds a rocket to travel to the moon 
in hopes of meeting the legendary moon goddess. So, personally, I think I'm a little too old for this. Or maybe the children's movies I'm used to are just better at handling complex issues and explaining them to children. Fei-Fei, uh, Kathy Ang's character, believes in an ancient folklore of the moon goddess that her mom told her. When her mom passes and her father looks to remarry, she builds a rocket to the moon to prove to, to them that, sh that the moon goddess is real in the hopes of making her father remember their mother and refuse to remarry. It would be tender and sweet if it weren't so cheesy, okay? The film itself is like an obnoxious splash of bright colors everywhere in every shot, which is nice on the animation side of things, but also might be overdoing it just a bit much. It's also a musical, which is great because Philippa Sue is just given free range to belt as much as she wants, and every time she does it, it's magnificent. If you've seen Hamilton, uh, Philippa Sue is the woman who plays Eliza. So if you've seen her performance of Burn, you know this chick can sing. She can sing her head off. Uh, however, some of the songs either don't match up with the tone of the film at the moment, or overall they're just too generic. Like they were made up in a created animated movie song machine. Like, everything is sort of, like, pinpointed to hit a specific note, and it's kind of obvious. Um, everything here is done pretty well, except for the story itself. The animation's great, even if it's a bit heavy-handed. The voice actors are spectacular, and kudos for getting an all-Asian cast to play an all-Asian story. Uh, the music, while generic, is still catchy, and the characters are instantly lovable, including... Feifei's new kid brother, Chin, who's the emotional and humorous arc of the film. I have a superpower! No barriers! Papa, ah! he ran into a wall. Sadly, though, because the film follows uh, Feifei, her character is outshined by a lot of the others. Chin, her seeming, uh, Chin outshines her, her uh, n seemingly knowing old grandfather outshines her. Even her silent, electric-eared bunny, Bungie, who is animated to the max of adorableness, uh, outshines her. So, I feel like kids, maybe too young, might adore the film's animation, but may not be sold on the heavier things that tend to slow the film down a little bit too much in the middle and definitely towards the end. Older kids might understand it, but still be turned off by the generic music or even the pacing. So, Over the Moon has some highlights, but its story structure hurts its case in the end, ultimately. Uh, Over the Moon is on Netflix, so if you have a chance and you want to check it out, be my guest. Uh, perhaps you'll come away feeling differently than I did. Uh, wasn't too high on it, but uh, I do think the music is good. And, you know, Philippa Sue can, can sing her head off. So it might be worth checking out just for that. There's some decent comedy in it as well. Uh, but ultimately, story-wise, it'll leave you a little bit uh, wanting more. All right. So the last film that we want to talk about 
today is a Borat subsequent movie film. 14 years ago, I released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! Where is everybody? They're wanting everybody to quarantine so they don't spread this virus. Could I stay in your home? I hope quarantine mm -hmm. never ends. What is more dangerous, this uh, virus or the Democrat? Democrats. 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 Killing some of the virus. No, you can't see the virus. No, it's still there. If you think you see a virus go like that. This makes the virus you... sleepy. And then when it's sleeping. Your daddy has a lot to learn. My daddy is the smartest person in the whole flat world. Uh, directed by Jason Wolliner, who also directed uh, Pat Oswalt's two stand-up comedies, My Weakness is Strong and uh, Werewolves and Lollipops. Obviously, Borat stars Sasha Baron Cohen and newcomer Maria Bakalova. The story is 14 years after making a film about his journey across the USA, Borat risks, risks life and limb when he returns to America with his young daughter and reveals more about the American culture, the COVID-19 pandemic, and our political elections. So it's going to be a little hard for me to discuss Borat as I literally just watched it. Uh, and not just uh, this movie, but I also recently just watched the first Borat. So to catch up for this film, I had to watch the first one, uh, which I loved. I actually loved both of these films, uh, but for different reasons. I think the first Borat being 14 years ago was really shocking. And, you know, uh, you could play a lot of those pranks on people and no one just knew what to expect. And it was so fresh and original an idea for a comedy that I think it was spectacular. So 14 years later, I was really worried because I was like, how do you pull this off without people knowing what you're doing or who you are? I feel like especially Sasha Baron Cohen has done this so many times, as, you know, as a comedian with different disguises and different people. Like, how do you not know that it's it's happening to you? Um, but in this one, he does find a very creative way to do it. And I think, uh, the, the true strength of this movie is the fact that it, while it does involve Borat, I think there's more time spent on his daughter, uh, Turat, Turan? I can't remember her name. <laughs> I just saw it. Forgive me. Um, but yeah, Maria Bakal Bakalova's character plays his daughter and she's magnificent I mean magnificent just the way that she's able to embody that naivete about the outside world and just coupling it with the things that they've been taught in Kazakhstan and learning that things are different in America and the stories are different and people are different and the stereotypes that they've uh, believed in for so long are are just stereotypes and not true. Uh, much like Kajillionaire, this 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 movie deals with 
what happens when you bel believe something for so long and then only to discover that much of it isn't true. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is when uh, Maria, Maria Bakalova's character uh, goes to a Republican women's conference and she talks to the women and, you know, she learns so many different things about you know that women can drive they can vote they can uh <laughs> run for office you know just a bunch of different stuff they can you know they actually have brains it's hilarious uh and you know she <laughs> has a great scene in there that is so i think is is probably one of that's probably my favorite scene in this movie because it's it's one of those things where if you've watched borat and and, and even this movie Every time that they pull a prank on some people, you know, y you see how people get angry and and mad at, mad pretty much that they got tricked or, you know, or it's upsetting them because, you know, Borat tends to go too far. Uh, but in that scene, like, you know, the women were like, I think they knew that, you know, eventually they knew that it was a prank, but also that they were like, you know, it's okay, you know, I... I like I think um, more often than not uh, what they do in the Borat movies is expose American hypocrisy and American uh, ego really uh, to the max and I felt like that scene uh, there was no ego there there was a lot of understanding and a lot more acceptance which I really enjoyed so what I think Borat 2 does very successfully is that while you had the shock of the pranks in the first film, this one this one has more the emotional connection because there's this subplot between Borat and his daughter that I think is very unique and I think it's done extremely well. And I think the amount of creativity to really change the story on the fly because, you know, we were dealing with the with the pandemic at the time that they were filming and I think they just handled it extremely extremely well made it so creative so funny it was it was fantastic uh the the, the political bits are a bit on the nose but because of the twist at the end it makes sense and I think it's it's done so well that it's gut-bustingly funny if you haven't checked it out, Borat's subsequent movie film, it is worth it. It is worth the 14-year wait. It is such a great, funny film, and it, it takes things to a new level. And I, as much as I enjoyed it, I still hope that it's the last Borat film because I just don't, under, I just don't see how you can do this again. Uh, but overall... I thought it was fantastic and if you have the chance it's on amazon amazon prime free free of cost obviously well not free of cost if you have amazon prime <laughs> it's free of cost but uh other than that please check it out borat subsequent movie film the film you fist me <laughs> right. now i fist you right, there you what go. do you prefer you fist me or i fist you same time fist each other there yeah you there you go and that's gonna do it for this special episode of Film Code. Uh, once again, my name is Phoenix Cloudin. Uh, 
if you haven't got the chance to check me out on Letterboxd under PA Cloudin and also on Twitter at IMHOReviews1. That's the number one. And also check out the Film Code Podcast Twitter page. We interact with you guys all the time and we want to hear from you. Uh, if you watched this episode or if you watched the movie that we suggested, let us know what you thought about it. That's uh, on Twitter at Film Code Pod. Uh, you will find myself and our other co-hosts, Nathan, Nick, and Brandon, all there, always sharing content for you guys. And we appreciate you guys for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace.